the core values that I want us to have are trust and truth. So trust, I think, is essential. So you need people who are empowered to make smart calls and they understand the company, they understand where we're going. Guided by over 25 years in the data and research industry and assisting innovators with investment banking and advisory services, Seema Vasa brings you Data Gurus, a leading market research podcast that offers actionable insights for business acceleration and value creation. Join her as she speaks with key innovators in the space to bring you up to speed with the current state and the future of data analytics and data ecosystems. This is Data Gurus. Need support on your market research projects? Paradigm Sample is a full-service market research solutions provider. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we are ready to assist. Paradigm can do as little or as much as you need, saving you time so that you can focus on insights. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com. Welcome to another episode of Data Gores. I'm so excited to have Steve Phillips here, who is the founder and CEO of Zappy. Welcome, Steve. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you. I love the colorful background. Is that your conference room? It is a conference room. So we are brand persona is Rebel Magician. And so each of the meeting rooms is after a Rebel Magician. And this one is Richard's room after Keith Richards, who I think was celebrating his 80th birthday. That's incredible. Uh, yesterday or the day before. I, how on earth that guy has made it through to 80. Just, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. And you hear the stories about their early days. It's amazing that he celebrated his 80th birthday, which hopefully we all can do that. Exactly. <laughs> Steve, thank you. Obviously, Zappi's had such an impact on our industry. And you've been at the helm in terms of shaping that journey. For listeners, I just want to have you provide a little bit of your thesis in terms of when you started Zappi. What was the pain point you were trying to solve? The idea did specifically come when I was drinking a glass or two of wine in my car. And my previous company, because I've had a few different companies, my previous company, we created a sort of advertising testing system that we thought was really good. And I took it out to a few clients and they were like, no, it's fine. It's interesting enough, Steve, but we're not going to use it. We've been using this other system for 20 years. And so I was sitting out in the garden thinking, we spend a lot of time and insight thinking about methodology and innovating around methodology. And then I thought, what else do clients moan about? And then I thought, well, obviously they moan mostly about price and time. So they love consumer insight. They think it's really useful, but it costs too much and takes too long. So then I thought, how on earth could I make it quicker and cheaper? And the obvious answer is automation. So then I literally sitting outside in my garden, I came up with the entire concept for Zappi, or at least the first probably four or five years of Zappi of becoming good. App Store was big at the time or new at the time. So I came up with the idea, oh, we could be the app store of market research. And I always wanted to do great quality research, but all automated. So that was the idea for it. We've not quite pivoted. We've evolved over time and moved from what was at the time faster and cheaper to faster, cheaper, better, and the power of meta-analytics and having a large data platform and et cetera, et cetera. So we've evolved the company, but the core of it was that initial idea. Let me go back to early days. First of all, when did you found the company? Just over 10 years ago. 10 years ago, we launched, but I'd probably been working on it uh, a year and a half, two years before then. Obviously, we had to build, but I had to find partners. I went through various different people who were interested in working with me and then not interested in working with me and backed away. And 
eventually found someone who was either stupid enough or risky enough to help me through it. Because I remember early days, the marketplace resonates. I don't know if I remember 10 years ago, but I remember early years of your company where you were taking methodologies that other companies had and trying to create efficiency around those solutions. Am I remembering that correctly? That's right. We had Rangers at the time. We had Cantor. We had TNS, Miller Brown, Keisha Avenue. So we had quite a few different companies putting their thinking into our system and we would automate it for them. As a business model, it was really interesting. It didn't quite work. Largely, what I thought clients would do is, oh, I need to do an ad test. I'll choose between five different companies, depending on star ratings on the system and just click which one I want to today. But actually, that's not what clients really want. They want solidity. They want standardization, freedom within a framework, one of our clients calls it. And they want to collect data over time and be able to compare across lots of things. So they want less choice in that sense and much more about the power of the data asset over time. I also find the client predictability in terms of how they approach the research and not having to question the underlying methodology, but really being able to dive into the results. And prior to automation, so much was around putting the research together versus actually looking at the insight. A lot of project management. Correct. Yeah. So then you decided, okay, maybe the app store concept is something that might not hit the client value or pain point. What did you do next? It was partly that. It was also partly the companies we were working with. So the research agencies themselves, they didn't want us to automate everything they did, right? Because they made money by selling hours. So what they very specifically wanted was a sort of cheap and dirty offering of their full value service onto the store, but didn't want to put the full value. And we could automate all of their thinking, but they didn't want to do that because they made money by selling hours. So at that point, we realized that if we were going to do sophisticated insight, we had to do it guided less by other agencies, more by partly by ourselves, but partly by our clients. So we spent a lot of time re-architecting our system so that it could be flexible, so clients could put their thinking and their beliefs about the market, their category and their brand into our system. So we focused very much more on working with some of our largest clients who really helped push us forward in terms of the thinking of what they want next, and then we'll work with them to co-develop it. So that was the change that we underwent. So you essentially became, and I don't know if this is a fair way to say it, but a technology-driven solutions agency that provides, maybe that's not the right word. I, I know the word technology needs to be in there stronger. So it's probably agency that I react to. Really, we're a software company. So we have third to a half of the people in the company are software developers who are building systems that allow data to be collected, harmonized, analyzed, modeled, extracted, create value. So we're very much a software company. We have a few researchers thinking and designing designing the thinking, but I said that's what we do often with clients, and that's not a large group of the people. Mostly it's software engineers, and then, of course, sales and customer service. But the basic research knowledge is fused in the software platform, right? It's- yes, that's right. It's a guy in our company called Jack Millership, who's a genius, he's a brilliant researcher, and I often describe what we're trying to do is put Jack Millership in a box. So we're trying to create, but make him into software. So what we're trying to do is if we could take 
if you were as a client said, we suddenly said to you, okay, you can get the best researchers in the world. You have an unlimited budget and as much time as you'd like. What would you do? Let's take that, put it into software so it's instant and relatively inexpensive. I'm sure you've heard of the long time ago, a chain called Jack in the Box. Have you heard of it? Yes. You're here today. You've raised, I think, what, over $200 million? Just under. Just under. Give us an idea of, obviously, you had this thesis. You're built. It's a software company. It requires a lot of capital. But truly, your last round, what, last December you closed? What was the thesis on that? Like, what? Because I think that points to your future and what your roadmap looks like. Yeah, so we had been moving to becoming a SaaS company. We're beginning to experiment with all you can eat so people can just use the system as much as they like, which pay a standard fee, which is, I think, a really interesting and exciting place to be. The fundamental part is we're moving from automating an individual project to really becoming a data platform. And the interesting thing now is that data platform can be aligned through APIs with our customers can automatically update the data, utilize the data asset in other things that they're doing, work with us to create value by adding data back into our system. And obviously the power of AI on top of that is becoming really exciting. We have always, even from the beginning, we utilized AI systems, but early stage traditional sort of AI model. We're now using much more focused on generative AI models and a lot of machine learning, but this just such an interesting time. There are so many things you can start doing with this that it's just going to be a really exciting couple of years, I think, for us and frankly, the industry in general. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And there's such a fine line with you have your thesis, you have your roadmap. Obviously, you have to test and refine, but there is a ton of distraction as well with all the different innovation that's happening in the industry. And there's that fine balance of not getting distracted by the latest shiny object. How do you stay focused? I don't. I'm absolutely dreadful. I'm absolutely dreadful. There's memes on on it internally. People are constantly going on about, oh God, that's Steve's another shiny new toy. Back with this new idea. Oh no. Oh God, not another one. Obviously you need discipline within the organization. We have a very strong product function, product leader, Ryan Barry, who you know also who really manages day-to-day the company. We work together, obviously me pushing, oh, we've got to go in this direction, we've got to go in this direction, we've got to add these features and these capabilities. And then there is, okay, yeah, but this is our backlog and these are the things we're currently committed to clients to do. And these are the things that we can manage to take to market and sell and all that sort of stuff. So it's a constant, not battle, but tension between all of those factors. I think healthy tension is good, honestly, because it makes you continue to build your perspective even more strongly in fact-based versus gut or emotions. And obviously that's acting clients, which is always like a normalizing fact. Of the exactly. Unless you then say clients don't know what they don't know. I've heard that before too, but... <laughs> I think, and clients aren't homogenous, obviously, even within a client, you will have people who say to us, yeah, I really need you to fix this problem or allow me access to this thing. And it's quite a tactical thing. And then there are some people who are like, yeah, but we really need to push towards a metadata platform. And those are competing priorities because they're, and then they're both real, right? So yes, we should be making you know, the launch of a project not take five minutes, but take four minutes and three minutes and two minutes and then one minute. So continuously actively improving the systems and the user experience. And at the same time, you've got to 
make steps towards the vision of becoming the premier data asset within the industry. As you said, they're healthy tensions. Yeah. So you said something and I got distracted by asking another question, but let's go back to the thesis of you, Zappi, transforming into a data company and being able to layer in client data, which I think you already can do, but uh, third-party data. How has that resonated within clients? Like, is your primary user saying, you know what, this is going to be a lot easier for me if I have these connections into my world of data? It is what's changing within the industry, and it'll be a lot more sophisticated in three years' time, in four years' time. We know data integration is an important thing for the future of our company and the future of other people's company, other companies. We know clients are moving in that direction, but they're working hard, but they're also confused and have different priorities and all that sort of stuff. So we work with some of the, their IT departments to say, okay, what is the role we can play in your data asset, your broader data asset? How would you like that data to be delivered? How, how do you want it modeled? How do you want to analyze? Where, what should we do? What should you do? It really depends on the sophistication of the DMP or the CDP on their side. But those are the things that I think we're all moving slowly towards. I don't think anyone's worked it out exactly what the future looks like. But we do know that being able to combine our data with social media data, with sales data from an Ailton, exactly, yeah. that would make much more powerful analysis. It would give clients better answers. We know we can't do everything. We're very good in our area and, and we need to align with other companies that are doing it. Interesting times. What's your perspective in terms of where the industry is headed? Obviously, there's the, the data bet, but there's so much concern about primary research, survey research, quote unquote, going away. There is so much of the training of people in research has been around questionnaire design, advanced methodologies, right? Years and years of history and pride around honing those skills and saying there's an art and science to all of this. How do you rationalize all that in your mind? If you do, or maybe you're still thinking through it, I'm just curious what your thoughts are. I mean, I'm very buoyant about the future. I think if you talk to large data companies, they really like the fact that we have first-party data where we have an open exchange with the respondent. We pay them for the information. It's not cookie-type data. There's no privacy issues. We're the only really strong form of why data. So there's a lot of what data around, but we're the best, by far the best sort of why data. And I think where we've missed out before is that we've spent a lot of time thinking about how we craft questions, how we do the analysis. And I think we need to spend, we still need that skill, but we need to add the skill of where does our data sit in terms of the macro data asset that the clients have. And, and I think if we can put ourselves in that area, we can be incredibly important for large organizations going forward because we're the ones who help explain the consumer behavior. We no longer need to, in my view, ask about the consumer behavior. That behavioral data should be available and will be available somewhere else. But no one knows why someone bought the can of Pepsi. They know they did buy it and they know what store they bought that. But unless they ask us for consumer insight data, they don't know why. And so that's the role we play. And the vision I would have for the industry is being accessible to any client who has any why question at any time and being able to immediately give them the answer to the question, the business question they've got. And then we become much, much more integral into our clients and their decision making. 
See, let me ask you this. As you expand the purview of research and data, right? It's not just primary research, but we're not doing API connections and adding multiple layers of data. Do you believe that the industry expands? Like our definition of our industry is broader than what we've been defining, I think like 90 million or what's your thesis on that? I think it does. Again, we talked about this a few weeks ago. One thing is that the, the cost of doing an individual project has been coming down almost since I've been in the industry. So it was probably $30,000 on average in the mid-90s, and it's going down to $3,000. And I think it will keep going down to maybe $300 in five years' time. So when you think about the revenue of the insight industry, in order to maintain the revenue, we've got to do an awful lot more research. Now, I do think there's an appetite for doing a lot more research. So I think there's an appetite for a lot more information. It's just got to be really timely and really accessible. So if we overcome those challenges, then I think the industry changes. So the type of person in it will change. The type of insight we give or that the speed and accessibility of the insight will change. But the industry itself, a macro perspective, will do very well, I think. So just so I understand, the core of research, as you mentioned, price compression and competition. And so we're adding on additional capabilities and I don't want to say features, but solutions to be able to maintain, and I actually have a thesis of saying growing value of what we provide in the industry on the basis that our talent will be different, likely, and technology, business skills, linking data to actual business strategy will probably become more important. What are your thoughts on that one? There's a, you know, Jeff Bezos at Amazon used to do when he was CEO, used to do a a shareholder letter every year. They're brilliant reads. But they talked of, and he talked in one letter about having an empty chair in every meeting room. And that empty chair had to symbolize the consumer, the customer. So that every time you were in a meeting room, you could go, oh, let's remember the customer. What would they think about this decision we're about to make? My view is that was, is what consumer insights. So we should be the chair in that room. We should be instantly available and understanding any decision you're about to make as a business person in a meeting room, you go, oh, what would my customer think? And you should be able to instantly find out what your customer would, or client, potential customer would think about that decision you're going to make. Now, you may ignore that, but at least you would know it and take it on board. Very interesting. I want to probe a little bit about oh. leadership. Do you have some core truths that you hold dear to yourself or dear for your company in terms of like a compass or a guidepost, if you will, about leadership and what it looks like and constantly challenging yourself to grow as a leader? Yeah, I'd say the core values that I want us to have are trust and truth. So trust, I think, is essential. We want to make amazing things and we want to make them quickly. We want to build brilliant by things. We want to get them out to market and get them into our client. In order to do that, people throughout the organization have to be able to make decisions. They have to think, oh, I don't need to go and speak to Steve or Ryan. I can actually, I know what's best for my client. I'm speaking with them tomorrow. I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to help them in this way. So you need people who are empowered to make smart calls and they understand the company, they understand where we're going. In order to do that, you have to have trust. So you have to have trust both ways and you have to start the relationship with trust. So we have no expense policy, for instance. So we just trust people to spend the money in the appropriate way. No one checks their expenses. We're just completely open with people. We have no holidays. So people work uh, unlimited holidays. So no holiday 
entitlements. So you can just take as much because we trust people. And then the truth is not about sort of truth versus lies, but it's about that, like the five wise process, it's about really trying to understand the core of something. So if a client says, oh, I want this to button to go from being red to blue, instead of going, okay, fine, I'll do it. You go, okay, why is that? What, what are you trying to, what is the truth behind the question that you're giving or the suggestion that you're doing? I need to understand what's underneath it because it may be that actually the button should be in a different part and it wasn't really about the color, it was about the way it was being interacted with. So if we focus on those two things of really understanding the, the truth behind a question or a decision or an issue and also trust people and empower them to be able to make calls, make change, make moves, then I think you have a very exciting company to be in. I completely agree with you. The why behind the question, I also look at that as being able to define the problem you're trying to solve, right? And too quickly, we drive to a solution that is, oh, no, it needs to be red or blue. But really, what problem are we solving? It might not even be a button. Exactly. I think that's where the healthy debate comes in, because it's let's really make sure that we understand the problem we're trying to solve for. In this age of speed and time, it's difficult to pause and say, no, this is worth 10 to 15 minutes to really make sure we're aligned. No, definitely. And part of that empowerment thing as well, one of my favorite phrases, not one of ours, but we heard it and decided to adopt it, is disagree and commit. I think it might be another Amazon one, which is the idea that if someone is Someone is empowered to make a decision. I disagree with that decision. I've given them my advice. I've told them why I think they should do something else. And they said, thanks, Steve. Appreciate your input. But now I'm going to do this anyway, because it's what I'm going to do. I go, yeah, okay, fine. I'm going to disagree and commit. So I'm going to help you make that decision work as much as I possibly can. Instead of carping from the sidelines, I'm going to roll my sleeves up and help you with it. Right, exactly. Exactly. So we're, we're all in it together and we're all going to make this work as well as we possibly can. So that's a critical thing. It is. I love the phrase when you ask somebody, do you agree? I don't disagree. I'm like, no, that's in the middle. That's nothing. You got to pick one. Steve, thank you so much for joining me today. Lovely conversation. I look forward to keeping in touch and watching our industry evolve and grow and thrive. It has been a pleasure. Thank you for inviting. Thank you for listening to the Data Gurus podcast brought to you by Infinity Squared. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Tired of market research solutions that put your project in a box? At Paradigm Sample, we approach market research support with customized and consultative solutions. Whether you need help with questionnaire design, survey programming, or online data collection, we're ready to assist. Let us know your needs and we can customize a solution just for you. Learn more at ParadigmSample.com.